ATC, what time is it? Uh, it's time for a makeover. Hi, I'm Teach. And I'm TC. And welcome to Movie Makeover, the podcast where we take movies you love, thank you love, guilty pleasures or downright hate, and give them a much needed update. Every episode, we'll review the good, the bad, and ultimately the makeover, where we pitch our changes for the film or we cast our own reboots. This week's movie is 1995's It Takes Two, written by Deborah Dean Davis, um, directed by Andy Tennant. Our who second also- Andy Tennant movie, yes. Yeah, I know, but he did Hitch, he did Sweet Home Alabama. Uh, this dude, you know what, honestly, I, I have some, some comments and stuff. Um, but starring the Academy Award winners, Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen, that's, I do that's believe. Not, that's not facts. Right? <laughs> These they they are actresses. With you know what? No, we're gonna get into it. But reminder: they were fucking what eight nine years old in this movie. Like, no, no, no. I I think I want to get and we'll get into this. The fact that they are children and they like first of all the fact that they have like a film empire yeah. longer than most actors says a lot. But uh, I did want to say, and also like, this yeah. was like a movie they held together. I mean, if not for the overtly sexual energy coming from Steve Gutenberg. Again, we'll get into it. <laughs> yes, as you said, it's starting Kirstie Alley and, first of all, I just want to say with Kirstie Alley, this is one of like the times that I really love her. I love It this Takes is, Two. This is the um, last of 90s Kirstie <laughs> Like You know that Kirstie Alley that just has like a special place in your childhood heart? This is the last of that. I don't know. I watched Veronica's Closet, and Veronica's Closet was a pretty, pretty good. <laughs> it, I mean, after the third Look Who's Talking movie, it just was all downhill for me. So. <laughs> Look Who's Talking now. Again, we have to watch that uh, series in general. But also the... Speaking of that, by the way, yeah. I want to say that our guest for today, me and him have watched every Look Who's Talking, and we love every single minute of them. <laughs> all right, so this we have to do that. I, I want to get to our guest, but before we do, let's talk about the sexual beast that is Steve Gutenberg. Steve Gutenberg <laughs> is so hunky in this movie. And there's a lot of scenes, especially a scene where he's in the lake where I'm just like, okay, Gooch, you didn't take this Mary Kate and Ashley movie for granted <laughs> at all. Because I, I always, like, my introduction to him was Three Men and a Baby. And I just love how, like, he has, like, this every man sexy quality. Like, this is before our standard of sexiness included, like, muscles upon muscles. This is just, just, like... He is one of those those sexy Jew types that we had. In, <laughs> or, like, like, Steve Gutenberg and, like, Jeff Goldblum. Just, like, these Jewish, just, like, hunky men. And I'm just, like, here for it. You're so right. You just made me realize I have always had a thing for Jewish guys. And I think I can blame this movie. It's the like, girls. I think Mary Kate, I think it takes two. It takes... <laughs> it takes <laughs> two exposures to Steve Gutenberg and you're hooked. Um, and then, in this. <laughs> and then yeah, and then Jane Simmet, who is, is, um, is great. Um, Jane she, Simmet, she does a fantastic job. Um, but before we can really get into this, let's introduce our guest. Uh, who is Tyler? Uh, hello, everyone. And I would also like to say Steve Gutenberg looks like he sweats honey, and he made twelve-year-old boys across the nation question their sexuality. So I'm a hundred percent on board. <laughs> right off the bat, coming in strong. I love it. 
Tyler, what is your history with this movie? I, you know what? I know that you have a special place for Mary Kate and Ashley movies, which is why I asked you to be on this podcast. Um, but if you could just like, <laughs> let people know your history with those movies and specifically this one, what you remember of your childhood from this movie, any thoughts you remember from your first time watching it? Both of my sisters really loved Mary Kate and Ashley movies, and so it was a lot of just like. Uh, I think we owned the VHS of Billboard Dad, and (laughs) so there's been a lot of blockbuster money that was spent on renting Mary-Kate and Ashley movies. Do you remember remember watching this movie when it first came out? Um, Not only do I remember watching this movie as a child, this was one of the ones that we owned and would watch repeatedly. As a matter of fact, I, I shared a screenshot with my sister because there is a scene where uh, Amanda, I believe, gets into, like, they get into the camp or whatever, and her friend, uh, I think Carla, is, like, trying to climb into her bunk, and she's like, yo, Carla, can't you read? And Carla responds, like, when are you going to get a life? And, like, snaps and everything. And my sister memorized that quote at, like, three years old and got in so much trouble, because in daycare, she would just go around telling people, when are you going to get a life? So you're basically so, yes. saying that this movie has a, a, a special place amongst your family. It's a touchstone uh, yes, moment. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I can just say from my perspective, I remember Mary-Kate and Ashley more so from Full House. I didn't have any sisters or, or girl cousins, really. So, like, I didn't really see any of their made, like made-for-VHS movies. But I did see this movie, and I have to say... Back then and even now, what, what really the thing that really makes me in love with this movie is Christie Alley. And, I mean, we can get into it later on when we talk about the details, but what a magical woman she is in this, in this movie. Um, just, just charisma out of, out of everywhere. So that's, that's what I'm going to say for that. Yeah, it's so, really funny. Um, I don't want to say, and Tyler, I'll let you go. But Tyler, you, TC said he has never seen any of their other movies. Um, to this day, Mary Kate and Ashley sleepover. I quote because I want pizza. P I Z Z A. There's a whole song and breakdown. TC, you would love it. It has everything that you love. Um, Brother for sale. I mean, like the hits just keep coming. Guys, I'm 31 years old. Now's the time for me to watch Mary Kate and Ashley's entire filmography. <laughs> I feel like all of the Mary-Kate and Ashley movies just kind of, like, blend into this thing to where they're, like, we're trying to trick these people into falling in love while also being, like, and doing tours of SeaWorld and then living <laughs> in a mansion in Manhattan. That's, like, all they do all the time, I feel and like I love as it. twins, and we'll get into, like, twin movie, like, uh, tropes, yes. but... Um, tricking people is what twins do. That's the only purpose of a twin is to trick people. Um, okay, and not only that, this movie gives no fucking reason why they are twins. Oh my god. Thank you. It's oh my god. We're gonna do that. We're gonna do that. Crazy. It's just it's overlooked. They're like identical <laughs> strangers, and you're like, no, 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 let's go back to that. No, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's not how that's how people work. That, it doesn't. <laughs> Yeah, and I it's have weird a fan too. theory about this that I'm going to blow into my head over. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. So, uh, TC, why don't you give us the first impressions of this movie? Oh, like the oh. 
the critical response. Reception, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, like she said, It Takes Two came out um, November 17th, 1995. So it was a Thanksgiving Day movie uh, by Warner Brothers. Um, this was shopped around to a bunch of studios. No one wanted it. Warner Brothers took it. Um, <laughs> uh, the cast, Mary Kay, Ashley Olsen. I just want to throw in um, that Mara Wilson of Matilda was all, all, almost offered this role. She actually turned it down to do Matilda. And Christina Ricci turned it down to do Casper. So just to kind of... I mean, all good decisions. of the moment, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, this movie, I can't find the budget of it, and we can kind of speculate on it, but the box office was $19.5 so it was modestly successful, depending on how much they spent on it. Um, also, one of the things is that if you look it up, Christy Alley and Steve Gutenberg, like, every actor in the world was considered for these roles, and they just got... I, honestly, I think they got lucky, because I think these actors have really great chemistry, but they weren't initially... Um, supposed to be in there but anyways for the reviews imdb gives it a 5.8 out of 10 Rotten, uh roger ebert gives it a 2 out of 4 and Rotten tomatoes gives it an 8 percent uh, <laughs> that is unacceptable eight percent this movie is gold and, actually, it so and also too, it. it debuted at number four at the box office coming in behind goldeneye ace ventura and when nature calls and the american president so even the ace ventura sequel beat this at box office I mean, again, this was a kid's movie. I'm imagining it wasn't like... I mean, for some reason, we've done quite a few movies from 1995, and we have even more. So that year was just jam-packed with it's options. A great, it's, a great, it's a great movie year, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so, I like uh, to think of the executives just being like, you know what? There's an untapped market for people that are just really into twin mischief, and we're going to tap into that. <laughs> Uh, all right. Um, let's let's do the summary because I want to I want to tear this movie apart with you guys. Like, okay. All right. So, so okay. the, to summarize this, Orphan Amanda, played by Mary Kay Olsen, and the rich heir Alyssa, played by Ashley Olsen, are identical strangers. <laughs> right off the bat. <laughs> nope. After a chance after a chance meeting, the two decide to switch places and see who's the see how the other half lives. All goes well until Alyssa's father decides to remarry. And her new stepmom, played by Jan Sibbett, is a nightmare. In the process, Alyssa's father, played by Steve Gutenberg, meets Amanda's caseworker, played by Kirstie Alley. I, I want to say the um, that Jane Sibbett, I know her best, and our audiences might know her as uh, Ross's lesbian ex-wife from Friends. Um, exactly. So, Carol. Yeah, that's kind of her major <laughs> claim to fame there. Yeah, so it's funny because when I watched Friends... I knew her from this movie. I was like, oh, the chick from Red Tech Suit. Let's get into this, guys. Let, I mean, I guess, do you guys want to start with cast? Like, how did we feel about Yeah, yeah, cast? yeah. I was going to say, starting off with the good, and the number one good that I have is casting. And uh, I will defer to you guys because you seem to be on the same page, but casting in this movie is, like, as you said, TC, it's kind of like lightning in a bottle. They got all the right people and all the children in this movie each bring it in their roles. And these are like, I'm talking about even orphan kids and, you know, like Frankie and all of them, like they play their roles and I love it. I 
had one of my notes was that uh, we can all agree that in the 90s, Christy Alley was one of the top five moms that you would see. Yeah. 100% one of the top five moms. She was a mom in everything. Um, also, and I was just kind of like taking notes like while going through the movie. And one of the things that I labeled as good was in the beginning when they're playing baseball and they like come to pick them up. The dude fucking drives through the game yep. and parks on the home plate. And he's obviously trying to kill these kids. And a lot of people don't know that in 1995 in New York, you could stomp an orphan like a rat and you'd only get a ticket. <laughs> Having lived in New York, I was there when they changed that law. So, uh... yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's absolutely, you're right. There's so much in this movie that I was like, I'm here for, but at the same time, and we'll get into it. I was like, what kind of adult, like, what were we allowing in the 90s with adults? Because um, Clarice straight up tries to slap, <laughs> slap a kid in front, of, in front of everyone she knows. No, that's, that's all my bad. I don't want to jump the gun, but that's 100% all my bad. That whole scene is ridiculous. Not only does she try to slap a stepkid, she then <laughs> settles for slapping a kid that looks similar. And she's like, she's like, you know what? I don't get to hit one of you, but at least I get to hit this one. Like, why are you on the child hitting rampage all of a sudden? <laughs> Your parents but are there. I, I would have just loved to see a full contact backhand <laughs> on a twin. That would have been amazing. And that's kind of what I wanted to, was to see their hijinks just derail. Like, hey, this did not go as planned. This slingshot that's aimed at this horse <laughs> hit Chrissy Alley in the eye. She's unconscious. What are we going to do? <laughs> yeah. So go, going back to casting and specifically um, Clarice, Jane Sibbett, I feel the moment she entered on screen, like when she was like, hello, I was like, you are annoying. I hate you. You said nothing but hello and I'm not on your side. <laughs> she's, she's the perfect, like she honestly, like she does play this role perfectly because you hate her at every turn of this movie. And, but she's also one of those people that like, she hams it up so well that like, I'm not even mad about it. Like I'm just, I, I like that she's trying to steal the scenes and kind of be this Corella DeVille character. Some of the lines are devastating. She said, look at the decor in here. No wonder she's dead. <laughs> you're right. That's what she says. She it's says it and you're like, holy In front crap. of the dead woman's daughter. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I mean, like it, I will say it is, um, it is something that she didn't know. Alyssa was there, but still, I mean, like, this woman is ruthless. But also, I liked that her character kind of had, like, for such a kind of side role, she had depth. She, like, she, you know, she told you about her past. She was like, you think you're uh, new to this? Um, by the time I was your age, I had five stepmothers, and I know what it's like when they all try to take away from daddy. You know, like, you're like, oh shit, there's a backstory there. And then when you meet her father, you're like, oh no, I see where this is, where this comes from. He yeah, literally says, the absolute worst. <laughs> her father <laughs> says, who would have thought my oldest daughter would be the last to get married? You're like, why was that necessary? <laughs> I love it. I also love in the uh, wedding, he runs in back into the room and he's like, I knew somebody would have had a antidepressant. And then like, if you're just like, I love this. I love everything about this. The writers snuck some really great things in there. What I want to say about casting too, like obviously Christy Alley is magic and Steve Gutenberg is um, super great. 
Um, what I really loved too was uh, the butt kisses. Um, I thought yeah. very much like Clarice, everyone in the butt kiss. Well, obviously the kids were kind of hit and miss, but these adults were just obnoxious and disgusting, and like they were the perfect people for that for those roles. Okay, I have a couple of notes about the butt kisses. Um, I love that one of the the son's name was Harry Buttkiss. Uh, I also I also wrote that Harry Buttkiss looks like he would lie about losing an uncle in the Holocaust. <laughs> and all of the Buttkiss kids look like page zero for a measles outbreak. <laughs> all of this is very very much the true. Whole, uh, so the, the guy idea. who plays oh go ahead. Sorry, the guy who plays Ernie. Sorry, who plays Harry Butkus is Ernie Grunewald, and he does a fantastic job, as you said, of being annoying. But I also want to say the fact that the kid who plays Harry Butkus Jr. is not his actual kid is like stellar casting. Yeah, that's right. That, yeah. look, he looks like he literally just spawned off um, for this person. So I was like, the fact that they found someone so similar looking who could also play up annoying and slimy. Uh, was amazing. Um, and I know we were kind of talking about, like, the Olsen twins. Um, I I just want to say, like, again, they're eight or nine years old when this movie comes out. For, like, um, initially when I saw this movie and I heard Ashley's accent, like, her Brooklyn accent, I was like, this is, this is awful. I, I don't want to <laughs> listen to this for the next hour. But, like, again, they're kids, they're swapping accents, they're doing a lot of complex stuff in this movie for eight-year-olds. Like, I have to give them some slack and really just kind of commend them for being able to do it at such a young age. Um, Two different things I made mention of. Why does this girl sound like she's from 1930s Brooklyn? Yes! And then 20 minutes into the movie, and they've already both completely lost accents. No wonder their careers fucking tank. So. <laughs> the accent, it starts so strong, but you're right. As the movie goes on, it just kind of drifts in and out, in and out. And I will say that Ashley was better at Mary-Kate's accent than Mary-Kate was, of the like yeah. rich Bobby. Ain't you wanna gonna have to go to the bathroom? <laughs> no one talks like this. And then you're like, no one fucking talks like that. <laughs> no wonder you're not adopted, Amanda. Hey, cut, cut the blackface. All right, quit it. <laughs> so one thing that I did love, like one of the best lines, uh, the one of the butt kisses delivers when they take Ashley to the to introduce them, and he says. Uh, what was it? The line essentially is the equivalent of, oh, this orphan has your mother's smile. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah, is yeah. amazing. So, and then the response, because she immediately drops that smile and he goes, oh, and your father's sense of humor. I was like, I'm here for this movie. It has comedy in all the right ways. It knows, it knows like the kind of darkness that it's playing with and towing the line with. And I love, there is a dead mom in this and we're still laughing most of the time. I love it. Okay. And one other thing I had, okay. And I need to bounce it off you guys to see if you've noticed this too. And other like movies from this time period in the very beginning, they're playing the baseball game and 
there are two kids that are acting like broadcasters. Yes, yes. This is a theme that gets repeated. That shit never happened in real life. <laughs> Why do they keep doing it in movies and shows? They did it in One Tree Hill with Minkus and like all yeah, these other. They've done. Where it does this come from? Uh, they do the stuff. same thing in Harry Potter, and apparently. Wherever we didn't go to school, there were just two kids, like, or every, someone else was like, I got first base, I got pitcher. Someone was like, I'll be broadcaster. <laughs> what, what, and then you're like, this fucking nerd. In this. Mighty Ducks, they did it in Mighty Ducks. I think they did it in Little Giants. Like, this was, you're right, this is a, one of those tropes that you see over and over again. It drives me crazy. Um, also, like, I don't, I don't really, I didn't really put this on the good or bad thing. I just wanted to ask, how'd you guys feel about them hammering down on the fact that she's an orphan and she's a reject and like like they said some really harsh <laughs> shit to this child in the opening scene of the movie well so again i i think it's, it's kind of a note because it can go either good or bad but one thing i will say is they do kind of set the stakes they this this story does really well at least in the first two acts with plot and story. And what I mean by that is they don't get me wrong. They completely leapfrog over the identical strangers thing, but (laughs) you understand why, like there is motivation and reason for these kids to be in the same area as Alyssa's family. You know, there's that makes sense. They were separated at birth. Clearly. (laughs) (laughs) The reason why we even switch places, that makes sense. It's all there. It's all understanding why the adults in the situation don't catch on immediately. Like, they really do leave trails there, and I really like that. But also, one of the things I loved is the, um, with the orphans that we were talking about, from the very beginning, there is a scene where well, first of all, the kids seem to know more than the or they know how the system works and everything. Because immediately they're like, "Oh my god, you got butt kisses!" Those people like collect kids. You know, it's like that's not like Chrissy Alley doesn't say that until after she sees it. These kids already know what's going on, so to speak. And then right after that, when Amanda does get into the cab. Um, I think one of the kids, I can't remember his name, he's just like, yo, see if they want another one, you know, two for one. And I was like, that is hilarious and sad. And I love how we are playing with these orphans in a way that feels just very real. There's also a moment where, um, you know, they switch places so that the orphan is hanging out with Steve Gutenberg. And at one point, she was just like, you know, it's really nice to have a dad. And it's one of those moments where you're just like, Yo, you are getting a taste of something that you may never actually get. And, like, the reality of that is actually kind of heartbreaking. Well, another aspect of, like, what CJ was saying is that the kids knew the butt kisses were a problem. Except there's a line that Chrissy Alley says, and she's like, I would like nothing more than to kill you before turning you over to social services. You mean the same social services that put eight kids under their care, yeah. the system is broken. This is- yeah. Oh, the system is broken because it's actually, I mean, like, we can talk about that, but one of the things that happens is they give her to the butt kisses, and she's like, since when do you place a child without the social worker's sign-off? So... <laughs> Even the nosy-ass neighbor knew that he was working those kids, quote, to the bone. <laughs> yeah. Also, I mean... 
collecting kids, I, guys, there's some there's some creepy territory you can get into with that. Like, there just should oh, be absolutely. eyes on these kids. And luckily, one of the rich girls is probably going to bring attention to this issue that, if it were a poor child, would probably have been ignored forever. Um, but I actually have some notes about that whole kidnapping exchange. I don't know what else to call it at the end of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we were, we were talking about, because I feel, I think what this movie is, it's in my good, um, is the first two acts of this movie, um, actually make a lot of sense and everything tracks. The pacing is all there. I feel like it really rushes and then goes off the rail in the third act. And that is where you have to lose all, like it loses all credibility in storytelling from that moment on. But everything before there, the comedy is there, the acting is there, the story is there. Also, it looks very good. Like cinematography-wise, like it doesn't look like a kid's movie. It just looks like a movie. Like it's just, it's shot like any... Um, you know, 1995 high, like, like decently budgeted movie is shot. It doesn't feel like it's, um, kind of an afterthought the way that kids movies are now. It feels like it's so like, like a Nickelodeon show that just happens to be extended to an hour and a half. It just, it feels like a, a very grounded New York. Um, like you said, at least into the third act when it's just like, Hey, you know, that engagement party we just had, well, three <laughs> days later, here's the wedding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, one thing I also wanted to put in my good is you had brought it up earlier, but the chemistry between Steve Gutenberg and Chrissy Alley I was like, this is a rom-com in a kid's movie, but it's a rom-com that feels both appropriate for a kid's movie, and as an adult, I find myself rooting for these two. I I disagree about it being appropriate, but I do agree that I was rooting for them, (laughs) and I I even wrote, I said... I said they have explosive chemistry, and I really did not anticipate wanting to see them fuck as much as I did. And that was something that I think really stuck with me as this movie went on. I was just like, you know what? I, yeah, get it on. Do it. And then they had a really awkward kiss at the end, and I was like, never mind. I don't want to see it. But, well, and the rom-com aspect totally played into part of the narrative as to why they were able to get uh, – the orphan away from the camp when Chrissy Alley's out chasing some dick and then the butt kids <laughs> is coming to steal the kid. They are constantly losing track of these girls and like the whole scene where like they're on horseback, they're supposed to be with their kids and they lose track of them. Chrissy Alley's like, guess she just didn't like my singing. <laughs> no, like, she, her body's in the ditch. Find her. <laughs> there's, there's, some, there's a point right before that scene that I absolutely love. They're like doing like patty cake out on the rocks, Chrissy Alley, and then they're sitting there, and the twin grabs her arm, looks at the watch, and then bolts into the woods. Yep. <laughs> that I would, I wouldn't know what to do, and I wouldn't do an Amber Alert. This kid knows what he's doing. This kid is keeping a schedule. I'm super impressed. Um, one of the things I want to say that's that's in my good is I love the cafeteria scene. I love the hijinks of it. I love the whole, like, you know, I can't go out there because you don't want either of them to see you. It's going to blow everything. What are we going to do? The the food fight, which I, I sincerely don't think an adult would start. But um, I thought it was so much fun to watch, and I just thought it was a really well-crafted scene where I actually felt a, a little bit of suspense. Like, oh, I wonder how they're going to work their way through this. Yeah, no, I love that scene as well because for me, that cafeteria scene, it's, there are two scenes that I feel like if you just were to lift them out and just watch 
by themselves are really well done as far as timing the cast and story. And that is the cafeteria scene, which is hilarious. And uh, again, there's that chemistry where it's like the moment he flicks back at her and oh, she starts snorting. You're like, you're in on the joke with the both of them. And you can tell that they have forgotten about the kid, which is completely their job, but you know, whatever. And like, they're just having this moment and it's, uh, and it's fun and it's childish and you get a sense that both he and her are enjoying themselves in a way they haven't been able to in quite some time. And then right after that, you get them in the lake, which is perfect because that's a very realistic moment of them to bring Clarice back in the story because it really does. It gets to this moment where you're like, dude, you're engaged. And she finds out and you're like, oh, you know, like that moment I, is so real and it hurts. I, I just want to say, I actually thought Roger was a massive piece of shit throughout that entire scene. Oh. Engaged like seemingly overnight, and then also he's willing to go all the way for some chick he literally met five minutes ago. But that's for later. <laughs> okay, one thing I had two things about the cafeteria scene. Um, one, I heard from a reliable source in courtrooms that they show the clip of the white orf- orphan girl tripping the black kid, and that starts the food fight as an example of a hate crime. Um, and then two, there is so like really a part of me that when the macaroni got spilled all over his head and Chrissy Alley started laughing, I wanted him to storm out and then close the camp. Like, <laughs> this is why we can't give you orphan shit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll teach him to laugh at my goddamn face. I created cell phones. <laughs> no, he didn't. He just bought, he bought air the airspace. And then the other scene that I think, again, if you, if you pick it up immediately from um, the beginning of one scene until like, it, you know, the story ends is the wedding. And I say that because the moment they burst through the door and he is, he's like, Oh no, I can't say I do right now. And you know, like everything from that moment on, we also, we, and we get her threatening to commit violence against two children uh, in front of everyone. She says, I've never been so embarrassed in my entire life. And they immediately expose her. Page six is at this wedding because they just said that she's a socialite and all of Midtown is closed. So page six is there and they completely took photos of this woman in her underwear on her wedding day. Just as she just got got dumped or left at the altar. And then also I just feel like all of the performances and everything really merges. The priest himself said something like, Remember, like, for the rest of your lives, like, the priest is even like, dude, don't do it. I had something specifically about that priest. The priest is, like, shocked at, like, how this wedding is proceeding. And I'm just not buying that. Like, I in my mind, this priest is, like, a guy, and he ran into, like, this really, like, sexy little troublemaking kid that, like, constantly wanted, like, kisses from him and everything. And then he, like, got caught and he told him, and then the poor, this poor priest had to, like, uproot his life and get shuffled around to, like, all these other churches and stuff like that. And every church has a sexy little troublemaker kid yep. that, like, wants to sit in his lap and is, like, being all coy and stuff like that. I just yep. I didn't, I didn't buy it. Traps setting them up. Traps, <laughs> honey pots. <laughs> I can't. 
cannot believe we're allowing you to say these things. I love every single moment. Don't stop. Nothing, about, uh, nothing right. like a fourth grade honeypot to really shake things up yeah. at church. <laughs> this was nothing but a movie about honeypots. Yeah. Does anyone else have uh, goods before we, we move on? I mean, I, again, like, they tend to bleed into each other, but I think I've, I've hit all of my uh, main points. I just want to say there were some really funny moments, like um, – um, Chrissy Alley has a joke where she's like, "The last Western I saw was an omelet that I actually thought was kind of funny." Um, yeah, I, one it. of the one of the twins is like, she's at the party and they're serving the um, escargot, and she's like, "All this money and these people eat slugs." I, I thought that was a funny joke. Amazing, right. such yeah. a great line. I love. So I will say that one another good is this is a very. The dialogue is really good in a lot of places. It's bad in a lot of places, but it's really good in a lot of places, and it's very quotable. I say, like, I think this movie introduced me to uh, sarcasm because there's that scene where she's like, um, my new stepdaughter, who I absolutely adore, (laughs) and then uh, Amanda brings it back later on, but just, like, in a very tongue-in-cheek way and to this day i love saying whom i absolutely adore as just like to be a bitch it's it's such a great line <laughs> to delivery. piggyback off of that one of my favorite things is starting this quote and waiting to hear if the if the other person can finish it which is you know i got that can't eat can't sleep reach for the stars over the fence world series kind of stuff and like I'll say it, and like someone will either have no idea what the hell I'm talking about, or they'll they'll get me in that moment, man. They'll just understand. immediately. That was you know me. I took a quote every with every movie, and that was my quote for this movie. It's like this is that signature. That quote is the signature of this movie. It's that gotta be can't eat, can't sleep, reach for the stars, over the fence, World Series kind of thing, and that's how they describe love or the spark of love. And I think that that. I think there's something really there and there's heart to what this movie is trying to say. Again, it nails the rom-com aspect of this movie, especially considering that we watched Hitch uh, way yeah. later and some of their motivation for love just doesn't hold up. <laughs> I, oh, go ahead, Tyler. Oh, I was going to say a couple of my remaining likes that I had was um, little one of the little Olsen in mini pantsuits yes. is the only America Hillary Clinton was fighting for. Um, the other idea that um, looking at children across the lake from my gold-plated telescope is exactly how I want to spend my retirement. Yep. No one asks questions about this guy who knows every inch of this little girl's body, every mole, every, every scar. Inch. On Vincenzo, why does he give me I used to work for a Tony Soprano type of vibe? Like, this man has obviously thrown a brick through a few deli windows in his time. Like, he is oh, fucking mob through through. He definitely has mob connections. I mean, like, that's kind of like he says, if you ever get into trouble, call Tony. Like, he's like, call, right. call this number. Call Lou. Call Lou. I, I've made that one of my new life goals to be able to hand someone a business card, quickly scribble a number on there, and say, "If you get into trouble, call Lou." <laughs> this brings me to a point. Can we please move into the bad? Um, yes, we go to the bad. That's now there's the bad. Because I want to say about that whole thing, like Vincenzo's kind of a piece of shit, right? So he's like, "Yes, <laughs> I know someone." 
who has access to a helicopter, but I'm not going to tell you that. I'm just going to put pressure <laughs> on you to go to Long Island and back in 90 minutes. And in, the, in that time, do this complicated exchange where you steal a kid or you just say whatever you have to do. It seems like something that should be a very lengthy process, but you still <laughs> do it. And in less than 90 minutes, call this number maybe. I don't know. It just seems kind of shitty for him just to like not bring up the fact that, hey, you don't have to drive. Yeah, like I said, the third act is where things really fall off the edge. The third act is at the top of my bad, mostly because time and space just kind of cease to exist. You're right. You can't get anywhere in New York, (laughs) especially you can't go from Brooklyn or the Lower East Side to Staten Island midday when Midtown itself is closed off, meaning that every other car has to work around it. Go all the way to Staten Island, have time to not realize that you're in the wrong place, get a helicopter to come pick you up, take that helicopter all the way to a junkyard, pick up a kid that doesn't belong to you, make a speech, pick up that kid again, take it to take the entire helicopter to Central Park, land, get out of that helicopter. Get into a carriage, steal a fucking horse, (laughs) and then ride it all the way to the cathedral, all under ninety minutes. I don't think I don't think that could be done, like with lift. (laughs) And you know what, Siege? Like in the same neighborhood, you bring up a central problem to the story for me, which was timeline. Because honestly, I think this whole movie happens over the course of like what four days. Yes, like they're, they're all this. No matter what, the kids have only been at the lake maximum for a week. Because literally, like, like <laughs> that wedding was the day after Steve Gutz was rubbing his lake boner on Christy Alley, was it not? <laughs> no, it was. So, yeah, uh, like, I and they, like, have this whole, like, montage of, like, Steve Gutenberg hanging out with one kid and Chris Alley hanging out with another kid. And I, we're supposed to believe that was one afternoon? Yeah, that was all supposed to be one day. Wow, okay. I mean, Chris Alley obviously shows favoritism amongst the orphans, which I don't think is a <laughs> thing for the other kids, but whatever. Like I said, in, in the third act in general, it's like, uh, we'll get into this in the makeover, but I was like... Why did we make it a wedding? Like, what? Like, I understood what you were going for, but like the idea that they had an entire wedding in New York, they were able to get the church booked, everyone was able to cancel plans, every you know, it's just like, like was it was so it was just chaotic and crazy, and it really well, took me out of it. And I remember like, this too. is all movie. That's the thing you have to remember when she's humiliated, when she's the most humiliated she's ever been at this wedding, everyone there got that phone call yesterday. Hey, my wedding's tomorrow. Change all your plans. <laughs> Be there for it. And then they, they're they there and they see the biggest shit show of all time. I just, there's something to that that really <laughs> got to start looking at in a certain way. Okay. Two, th- two definite things that I did not like is... Um, when they show the first instance where it's Chrissy Alley and she's talking to the twin trying to convince her to go to camp and everything like that, look at the room they're in. These sheets are in such <laughs> egregious placement. These kids are animals. <laughs> Secondly, like I would totally have thought for an instance, like at the dinner party, like the piano scene at the dinner party, I 
if I knew that my kid knew piano and then all of a sudden just started slapping around and doing things for a second in my mind, I would honestly think, did she sneeze herself into being retarded? I don't know. Like it's just <laughs> <laughs> for a heartbeat. I would have thought that, you know, well, no, I I, love- that's one of the, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, that's one of the good things that I, I forgot to mention, but like, again, they, they do the story really well in the beginning. Cause they show that Alyssa acts out when she's not getting her way, you know, it's like a, she does it in very passive ways. They establish she has that, that dramatic faint that she does. So the fact that, yeah, the fact that she had this dramatic faint and they were able to bring it back and make it relevant later on in the movie, I thought was genius. And the idea that when Amanda plays, well, this is the line she goes, no way I would play something from chopping. And I was like, I loved it because it showed him. But anyway, like the moment I saw that, um, they are like, oh, she's acting out. I think she's screaming for attention. And he immediately responds and is like, you know what? The rest of the day, I'm going to spend with you. I thought that that kind of made sense. And I do. Did, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, another thing is how relaxed people are with things. You've just run into somebody that looks exactly like you. This is a everything I know in life is a lie, God is not real type of situation. 100%. Uh, Yeah, Yeah. and that's that's the thing I've, like, immediately thought because – I have a fear, like, and yeah, us just came out, so maybe that's in the back of my head. But even before that, I knew that if I ever saw a clone, a twin, anything, my first instinct is kill it before it kills me. <laughs> that's immediately where I'm starting, and I'm that I'll end in a calmer place. But that is crazy. And, like, that moment where she's in the house for the first time and she sees the painting of her is legitimately terrifying. Okay, okay. Yeah. Thought experiment. I love that they at least acknowledge that, but keep going. Okay, thought experiment. You've just been pulled into a house yep. and everybody's just cool <laughs> acting around you like they know you and everything and you see not a photo, but a fucking oil painting <laughs> of yourself. And you don't immediately fucking freak out. This is also something that me and Christine have talked about. Okay, thought experiment. You are at someone's house and they're like, hey, I want to show you something. And you're like, okay, cool. You go into the bedroom and they pull out a sex doll that looks exactly <laughs> like you. <laughs> what the fuck do you do? Like, I can only imagine it's the same type of like, what the fuck is going on? I can't. I also love she is in there runs out she does not stop screaming (laughs) until she's outside she runs screaming through the woods i would love to just be inside someone's house start screaming leave scream run past my car scream run down the goddamn road also i just want to say something about this whole like mix-up too because we're we're supposed to believe that this girl who has two limos that pick her up at the private airport has the same outfit as an orphan. Like, there's things about this that I was really like, there's no reason for them to have the same exact outfit in this scenario. Well, it's not exact. One has long pants, one has short On the same day they just happen to bump into each other, they just happen to be wearing the same outfit. Kill it. Kill it. I don't trust it. All right, so so one thing that you kind of brought up, and I kind of, like, it wasn't in my makeover, but I just thought of it right now. This movie is a precursor to us because, A, she's an orphan. We already established they don't know where she came from. She just showed up on someone's doorstep one day, and the entire time it takes to, they were trying to tell us that us existed 
That's she is a tethered, and that is why she was able to dress like her. That's why they were able to get there at the exact same time. This movie is a prequel. This movie also says uh, some things really about privilege, obviously, because there's there's a moment where uh, Melissa's like, "Well, yeah, being an orphan looked like fun," and it's just like, you know what? Why don't we? <laughs> maybe we should do a more permanent switch, Alyssa, because you need to have I some fun in my orphanage. She was just like, "I wanted to see what it was like to be poor," and you're like, "You're playing this to an orphan." Yep. <laughs> Two things. Yes, when I close my eyes and I think of the word white privilege, it is this family. Uh, and two, um, the poor, the orphan had to wear long pants because she had burns all over her legs. <laughs> she was sliding in the second. She was playing on concrete. I mean, oh my goodness. Uh, there's a woman in here named fucking Muffy. Um, that was on my list. Uh, it just kind of bothered yeah, me. Muffy. <laughs> The ba- going back to the bad, uh, we kind of mentioned the accents, and I thought the accents, especially Mary Kate's Brooklyn accent, just drove me up oh, a wall. Well, at least the Brooklyn um, accent went away. The, the English one stayed throughout, and that was worse. It was to me. I literally wrote down. I was like, I can't tell which is worse because the Brooklyn one's egregious, but the proper one feels almost cartoonish. In a way, you know what I mean? Again, these are nine-year-olds, but it was just, it was so ridiculous to me um, that it kind of took me out of it for a moment. Uh, One of the things I have on here is Steve Gutenberg. uh, They're on the horses together, and he's like, I used to look like a real jerk on the horse, and then he falls off the horse. But what he says it while he's wearing this outfit that makes him look like an extra in Hamlet or something. Like, he looks like (laughs) such a douchey, pompous asshole in this, like, like, he's wearing white on a horseback right it's just it's it, all the outfits in this whole thing the pantsuit the 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 everything christy alley she she like, gets this note from steve gutenberg that's like hey meet me at this place and then she shows up wearing something that is like from the mother-in-law section of david's bridal <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you doing <laughs> I also love his horseback riding outfit. It was tight black pants, a vest, and then what looked like a triple XL polo button-up shirt. It, it was the most loose, billowy, silky pirate t-shirt I've ever seen in my yes, life. Yes, it was very pirate shirt. It, so it's funny. Let's talk about Roger because you're right. I looked at this and I was like, all right, so let me get this straight. This Roger's daughter has never met his fiance and they are now getting married. She never once did. And like, how long was she going? She was at like a camp apparently. Cause apparently she's not at boarding school yet. She was just off at some like piano camp or something like that. And they just brought her back. And now all of a sudden he has a fiance. There's no history given. She's not like a college friend. She is literally someone he recently met. No one knew about. She's a socialite, and now he's engaged. There's no reason that we're given for why he wants to marry her. Like, zero. Not even like a, like, oh, like, she she works with me, or she's really, or we have a history. Nothing. It's just literally like, hey, I met this woman. She's pretty. We're getting married. 
No, no, no. He says he says that there's a reason, and the reason is she needs a mother, which is problematic in itself. But then the mere fact that you're getting married because your daughter needs a mother, and, and you're like, anyone will do. And she calls him out on it. She's like, how do you know she's good with kids? Have you seen her with any? He's like, no, but I'm certain she is. She's a woman, right? Yeah. Well, so again, she even uses, she kind of uses his naiveness. Um, and the thing, because, oh, I wrote this down as a note for Clarice, when Alyssa faints and he's tending to her and she immediately steps in. She's like, you're, she's like, you're playing into her whole thing. I was like, this is not your kid. Take a step back. You just met this kid five minutes ago and you're already giving parenting advice and your excuse is, I'm a woman. I know these things. I was like, bitch, back off. Yep. <laughs> I like there are totally like you saying that he she needs a mother is totally there's another line where he's like um oh well you know we'll get married and then we'll have a real family and it's just like <laughs> that shit hurt that like can't even imagine someone saying that when you had a mom like she's fucking dead <laughs> no absolutely he That's says a lot things. of shitty things and the way he treats christy alley when his fiance calls and they're having like this like like, hey, our, our, our children are missing, but don't give a fuck because this is kind of hot and this is working out. By the way, I'm engaged, but I'm not going to tell you. He treats – he's like, oh, um, he's like, oh, oh, no, we're not having dinner. Oh, it's just a business meeting. And I'm just like, damn, like, treat this well, one like so first of all, the fact that he answers the phone and he goes, it's my – I gotta take this. And you're like, oh shit, he's already one set out the door. Like, he is already, like, I'm not gonna tell this hot chick I just met that uh, I'm engaged. He's already planning to hit it and quit it. Number one. And then they have, like, a connection and, as you said, he's kind of, like, downplaying it while she's still there. It's like, she's barely a woman. She's like, you know? (laughs) Well, we can all agree that in the 90s, if you were to lightly blow on someone's scrape on their forehead, that was an invite to pussy town. And also on his end, a well-placed wink could like swamp some fucking mom jeans. So when she blew on his forehead, there was, I like felt it on my forehead. Like there was a moment where I was just like, you know what? This is sexual as hell. And I don't know why. But also with Roger, it's really funny because he kind of like when she behaves the way she does, um, I remember he owns the land that your camp is on. It makes sense for her to be like, you know what? I need to remove myself from this. There are kids who have something at stake outside of me. I was just just back riding with has been missing for hours. (laughs) yeah let me go back and see if i can find her but instead he comes and he's just kind of like hey you kind of like left me there the other day and she's like yo you are the owner of this camp you're technically my boss this is technically sexual harassment at this point in time yeah and and, oh oh, i was gonna say not that i am a pedophile or that a pedophile would do this (laughs) But to be rich enough to start a summer camp where you could just watch kids all the time and have them within grass next to the woods. That's a quick, easy escape. You could totally do that. And was I the only one getting a fucking Brett Kavanaugh vibe from Roger? Like, this could have just been a movie about his life. I don't even know. I, does he have twins? You know what? There, He does say some very creepy things. There's one point after the food fight where she spills, like, um, 
mac. She's like cleaning up the macaroni off for her, Christy Alley, and he's like, um, "Oh no, leave some. I might be hungry later." Ugh. I was like, <laughs> "You're engaged, bro. What are you doing?" Oh, and he. I think he immediately like. I don't know if he takes off his clothes, but he like when he jumps into the lake again. It's like this is inappropriate time. Like, like don't get me wrong, chemistry is there. I love it, but at the same time, as you pointed out numerous times, uh, she's definitely on the clock, and they are now like I'm. Just, they number the number. Sorry, they count the number of adults to child ratio to make sure that like each child has a certain amount of oversight. And the fact that it went from three to two. (laughs) And also it was her job to monitor the the cafeteria that day. And she started the goddamn food fight and left. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, we can all agree that this isn't what camp is like. Everyone knows that camp consists of an older person telling you that you're bad and then tricking you into publicly throwing away your pornography. Like that's what camp is. All right. Yeah. So they have this scene in the lake that I just really like, I was like, wow, this is probably Roger being the most shitty in the entire movie. He's like, Hey, I'm going to pretend I can't swim to convince this woman who does not want to engage in this activity to come in and save me. Gaslighting her, she jumps in and it's all like, oh, by the way, I'm not engaged. I'm going to rub my boner up against you. What's good? I want to fuck. Also, I'm going to keep my engagement to myself. It it's, goes on way too long. And I mean, luckily, they have the chemistry to pull it off. But there were moments in there where I was like, wow, what a piece of shit this guy is. I don't want her to because she's like she's right before she jumps in. She's like, I hope I hope you're worth it. And I'm like, he's not. Don't. No, it totally is. Like, I definitely think that there were instances. Well, one, I do think it would have made the movie a lot better after he uh, tricked her and went under and then she jumped in after him. And then she was like worried about him. If he just climbed up and he had his dick outside of his zipper <laughs> t-shirt still tucked in dick out and it's like got hair down the shaft <laughs> <laughs> well one thing about this whole like extremely sexual lake scene too is that the girls are watching all of this and these i mean for whatever reason even though this is a summer camp there's no kids around they're not even concerned about being watched by any of the kids like it's just th- on that note no, there's a there's a scene that i really like where she is, um, Kissy Alley's character is comforting Alyssa, and she's like, oh, you feel this way, I know, like, you know, this is right after the whole you remind me of someone conversation, and she goes, why don't we go, why don't we go spy on the boys? I was like, no, that is not a good idea. You're gonna go spy in the middle of the night on teenage boys? Nope. That is not anything anyone should be doing, especially you should not take another nine-year-old child. <laughs> it's like nothing but pimples and grinding your boners on a pillow. Like, it's gonna be horrible. Why would you want other people to see that? <laughs> exactly. And as a counselor, I feel like she should know that. And I the, the thing that fucking bothers me is there's so many points to where there could have been, like, wh- what is going on here? Like, when... Chrissy Alley first meets him and then she's coming back and they're at like the campfire and she's talking to her friend and they're like, well, you know, he's probably like only marries these certain types. And then the or the not orphan, the rich one jumps in and she's, she just knows a suspicious amount about this billionaire (laughs) dead wife. (laughs) Well, I feel like um, Chrissy Alley's character calls that out. She's like, is this published somewhere? Like, how are you getting all this information? And I would be like, you're not allowed on the internet anymore. Why are you researching this? 
Um, okay, so obviously I mentioned the timeline thing really threw me off. Like, I hated that they threw this wedding together in, like, a day. Um, also, the thing that bugged me was just, like, they're racing. Like, she, she's racing to get to the, uh, the end of the aisle. She's, like, trying to hurry the wedding along. Um, Tyler, you're married. Can you confirm this? Um, you do not have a legal marriage on the ceremony. You take care of that <laughs> days before at the courthouse, yes? Uh, yeah. Another fucking thing. This is another theme that I've seen in movies. I've never heard of or been to a wedding where someone's interrupted and like interjected except that is a theme in so many movies yeah. to where it's like someone standing up and saying something does that i've never no, known no, no. This and this, there's another trope that they do too where the priest is like do you take this woman to be your bride and steve gutenberg has conservatively five minutes to consider the answer <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. he's like really think about it really, like really really consider what and you're saying they're, to. and they're they're the time is really shitty because they're cutting between like Steve Gutenberg trying to answer this question and uh, Christy Alley and fucking uh, Mary Kate or whoever stealing a horse, committing the good going through having a full adventure while he's contemplating answering this question, and it's just completely the it's the third act of issues for sure. So, so the art, so the horse thing reminded me that like I don't know how many laws they break in this third act and we're supposed to like assume that because he has money he just makes them all go away but in reality this is a huge news story in new york a not only did a helicopter land in the middle of central park by the way without no explanation because as of right now he doesn't know that that's there so that wasn't given Halloway didn't give approval to do that. And then they stole a horse. And then, like, you know, it's just like there are so many loose ends that the Newsday is going to have a field day with this. Everyone knows that horseback is the fastest way to travel. I mean, (laughs) (laughs) like, you have to be somewhere in a hurry, dude. You steal a horse. It totally is. Like, going back, Steven Gutenberg really makes a fucking meal out of being confused. Like, even when they do the reveal to where it's the two twins in front of him, it it felt like 10 fucking unbroken minutes of him just dumbfoundedly looking back and be like, but what are you? (laughs) Like, I was like, this is blowing my fucking mind. When Steve Gutenberg sees the girls, that's the moment where I'm like, organically, he needs to have questions. It can't just be this like, you're her and her's her. (laughs) I guess this is just a funny coinkening. No, bro, you need to do a paternity test ASAP. Like, I. Well, that was, yeah, that's what's. The last thing that I had in my dad is that. Even when the girls, like the the meet cute of the girls, like when they first run into each other, the whole thing is like, I see me. I see me too. And it's like this, A, it's really cheesy dialogue, but also they immediately go, oh, identical strangers. And never assume there's relations. They never assume, like, you know, like they're just like, oh, you know how it happens. I've heard about walking down the street, running to someone who looks exactly like me. And that's enough for me. And then every time they bring it up to an adult, the adult goes, uh, uh, and they're like, yeah, weird, isn't it? And they're like, yeah, now that I've acknowledged it's weird, we can all move on. Yeah, like, that's what the writers were doing. They were just like, could you just fucking imagine? Like, <laughs> no, there needs to be more than that. One one final thing I had on my bad is that, okay, so, um, you know, uh, the 
the kiss that Steve Gutenberg and Christy Alley has, like the whole movie's leading up to it at the end, it's not a very good kiss. It's kind of awkward, but it's brought upon because the girls are like, just kiss already. Kiss already. And it's just so odd for me that these girls are forming a bond by encouraging and watching these parental figures be intimate with each other. They did it literally the day before when Steve Gutz was like pre-coming in the lake with her. They're doing it now. <laughs> but we can all agree that Diane lost her job, right? She I needs mean... to. She was terrible at it. <laughs> yeah. she, not only did she only pay attention to one child, she constantly lost track of that child. She constantly was like making a mess and walking away from it. She wasn't going according to protocol. She kept trying to adopt a girl she had like uh, like a direct conflict of interest with. It just seemed like it was... It was Again, she committed several felonies on the way to this one dude's wedding in the middle of a work day. She steals the the camp's Jeep. That is the only mode of transportation, it seems to be, for all of the other uh, campers. So like, if a kid hit his head and they needed to take it immediately to the hospital, they're out of luck because Diane has taken the Jeep and she's in Staten Island. Timmy broke his fucking leg. Oh no! Well, Chrissy Alley's out chasing dick. So yeah. sorry, little Tim. <laughs> Send us to the infirmary. Oh, and then also, is this the same universe as the movie Billboard Dad? Like, does Chrissy Alley die of AIDS and then is buried underneath a tree out by the lake in Forrest Gump? Like, I. <laughs> I love doing that to where we'll just like try and build connections between all of them. Like when does she get the talking dogs? Which, <laughs> by the way, that's such a great movie. I, I really, like kids like we have to do look who's talking because I love that movie so much. And I mean, I'm sure great. she's great. I'm sure it doesn't hold up, but as do, she's great. Yeah. Um, so who do the butt kisses legally have <laughs> ownership of at this moment? Because a, a lot could have happened in that time. And like, obviously, like it was the rich girl with the with the like the butt kisses and they're like making fun of her and all that. And I was like, you know what? If these kids were really so street, this could have gotten out of control fast. And like she could have had an experience that scarred her for life. Like that is one thing that I put underneath my the makeover is if instead of them giving her like the crown and the robe and the plunger, if they would have like visually we could have seen her like suspended from some sort of like trash cross <laughs> and then they like stab her rib to see if she's dead. Like <laughs> I mean like also let's just be like fair. children of the dump. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> she literally gave because she she said I will be back for you. I will report you eventually. But she then leaves the situation in the helicopter, thus giving him enough time to completely abandon the kids to murder the kids. suicide. All these yeah, kids. Like, yeah. yeah. That's little the, that's the, sounds. That's yeah. the <laughs> Sad story what happened to those damn kids. <laughs> <laughs> okay, are you guys ready to do the makeover? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, Tyler, you've already given us yeah, a makeover. Do you give have us, any- Give us your makeover. Oh, okay. Um, I have a couple of items. Okay, how I would want this movie to go in my dreams is that the two twins, they meet up, they successfully poison and kill the new stepmom, and then the poor twin takes the jail time because the rich one offers to pay her, but then the state decides to make an example of her and sentence her to death. (laughs) 
and then you find out the rich twin was actually family friends with the prosecutor's family and then stomps out the chances for an appeal and then the final scene is she's being strapped into the table for the lethal injection and the fucking rich twin is in the viewing room i love it that's some modern what is it called uh what's that movie with the magicians yes it does have a very um the christopher nolan um with the, the illusionist the prestige, the, the prestige. The prestige. it does have yeah, a very prestige, very prestige vibe to it um okay i i kind of have something so my whole thing i here's the thing if i'm keeping this movie pretty much as is and just tweaking some things i don't like one of the things that we didn't talk about that I would have done differently was I would have had Gutenberg say no to Clarice before Christy Alley comes in. I think dramatically that makes more sense. It doesn't make him seem so just like quick to go with an impulse. Like he seems so impulsive going for this woman he just met when he has this engagement. He already introduced this girl to his to his daughter. Like it just seems so impulsive. And then for him, for her to sling in last minute and him go, you know what? No, it just seemed kind of uh, like a like a. It made him seem shittier. It didn't make him seem more like I wasn't rooting for this at all. I agree with you. That's actually the exact same note that I had, which I was like, change the first party from an engagement party to just like a dinner. And it's like, you know, they, they just had it like an event or a dinner or whatever. Or and then be, uh, the, 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 the rehearsal dinner. Uh, yeah. Well, no, no, no. The reason why I say this is it could have been the rehearsal dinner, but for me, if we do it where my mind you, this man is a millionaire. He has money. There's a lot tied to this. You don't just get married on a whim. There are contracts that are brought up at, at this point in time. So you don't just step out of that very easily. So in my mind, if we make the main event, the engagement party itself, and he breaks up with her at the engagement party itself. And, you know, it's like it's at that dinner he realizes that he doesn't want to be with her anymore. And as you said, TC, he kind of calls it off and they come in to stop him or to declare their love. But he's kind of already sent everyone away. He's already, he's already gotten the ring back. That makes this movie so much more. That makes him a better person and this movie a better person because you're not rushing their marriage or his decision making. I also don't think it would have changed the movie that much at all for him to just say in phone calls and letters who Clarice was. Like, for her to expect yes. to be meeting Clarice when they get there, the only thing that changes is she doesn't think her spoiled ass is getting the surprise party. That's the only part of the story that changes by her getting a heads up on this. Um, okay, so now that I've gotten that out the way, I'm kind of want to go with Tyler and pitch my idea because I have a fan theory for why these two girls exist at all. And I think this okay. is either, I think this is the sequel. This is the follow-up. So they go off and then Steve Gutenberg cannot get it out of his head. Who is this girl? He's very creeped out almost. And then he goes on this long path and discovers that the original mother, the original Mrs. Calloway, she, when she was giving birth, Roger was in a business meeting. He was overseas. He couldn't be there for it. And she was very unhappy in their marriage. He didn't know it, but she was she was at the wits end. She didn't want to have the baby. She was already feeling postmortem, whatever. And then so she gives birth, and then holy shit, the doctors didn't realize 
It's twins. There's a second baby. She didn't even want the one baby, but she knows that Steve uh, Gutenberg is expecting the one child. She doesn't want the other one. She she looks at Vincenzo and she says, "Fucking take care of it." And Vincenzo <laughs> takes care of it. And then Steve throws Gutenberg, her through a deli window. Steve Gutenberg comes up to Vincenzo, and then Vincenzo says, "You don't know what I've had to live with. I've had this on my heart forever." <laughs> and they had this gritty shouting match, and the whole time, the whole time, orphan. Uh, Olsen is in the corner. She's seeing it. She's hearing it all. She jumps out the window. She fucking dies. That's the end of the movie. That's I, I love the dark ending. Another note I had is I would really love to see a Requiem, uh, Requiem for a Dream type of ending here to where like the twins grow up or they don't grow up and they do the ass-to-ass thing and then everybody is addicted <laughs> to opiates and then Francenzo and the dad are in jail and they've got track marks all over their arms. <laughs> so... Um, my, mine is just as crazy, but doesn't end as dark. But like, I had two sequel <laughs> ideas to this. Um, my, and I have named for both of these, which is that, um, there's a sequel called It Takes Two More, where it turns out that the twins, sorry, Chrissy Alley and Steve Gutenberg are now pregnant with twins. And oh. therefore, yeah, it takes two more. I've already have you guys hooked. I already have you hooked. Um, I you were going to say they actually find out they were a part of like quintuplets. No, I two yeah, more. I, I had, that was like part of it, but like that's the like, that's the base. She line. gives birth to two girls who look exactly like them. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. all right. So there's that, and then there's also my other idea, which is very much in the Mary Kate and Ashley wheelhouse and makes sense for 1995 and what happens is the girls are kidnapped because now that they are international sensations for their identical stranger storyline people realize that Callaway never looks after his kids and they kidnap the twins and there's hijinks ensue after that because we love it when kids are kidnapped by adults and held for ransom and figure their way out that was a huge plot point in the 90s and I think we have something there so they took two. That is that is my my movie pick, guys. I think we have enough to really build out the it takes two universe. <laughs> the cinematic like universe. all of a sudden they start a a business <laughs> where they just start hooking people up, and then who who contacts them? Both of the fucking Lindsay Lohans. Oh, because they have a similar situation. So there was, I mean, obviously there was. I love it. Of- no, I actually said that. Uh, Parent Trap overlap in this. Like, Parent Trap, the original, not the Lindsay Lohan one, but the original had came out, like, decades before. So, I just... Yeah, absolutely. There wasn't a ton of originality, although I did find out that this is based off of a Pied and the Piper, like the... um, Yeah. a, a, A famous book from someone i don't remember the whole yeah thing. no identical strangers is actually a very like tale as old as time that whole thing the princess in the p or like whatever that's uh sorry the princess of the p is a different one but yeah the princess and the pauper is a very common trope um again and it is almost always an identical stranger type situation i just think since since Parent Trap has come out at this point in time, the mere fact that they try to play off that two kids look exactly alike and no one, like, not not like, oh, you kind of look like this person and I can see it. No, like, identical. Yeah. And everyone's just supposed to go with it. That's weird. Or if there was a triplet that died in the womb, and then now there's two and a ghost that they work together. There you go. Or Chrissy Alley. The animated series. 
Chris yeah. Kelly gets pregnant <laughs> with twins, but those twins can talk. Look who's talking. Two. It takes two. <laughs> talking. I do more to look who's talking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Uh, so one thing we like to ask Tyler when we wrap up everything is: Is this movie more good or is it more bad? What is your insight? Uh, it's it's so bad. It's more good. Like it's great because it's there's so many aspects that you can like make fun of it, and I always feel like that makes movies better. So I liked it a lot. Um, I'm gonna agree with Tyler. I think this movie's more good than bad because obviously it's super cheesy, but like it's entertaining, and honestly, the chemistry of the the love interest, um, the two twins, I thought were really good. Also, we didn't mention this before. There's also a pretty diverse cast. Like the other kids in the yeah. the orphanage were really diverse, which I thought was really cool. Um, I I think there was a lot that was good about this movie. In fact, I do almost wonder now that I've seen this if I like this better than Parent Trap, the Lindsay Lohan. I don't know if it's been a while since I've seen it, and maybe Tyler will invite you back for another twin hijink movie. But, um, oh, but I'm, this I'm, could be my specialty. I'm feeling like this because of mainly because of Christy Alley and Steve Gutenberg. I feel like this movie really uh, impressed me more than I thought it would. Uh, yeah, so same here. I thought, like, looking at this, if you take away the problems with the third act, I feel like the story overall and the comedy and the acting and the cast and uh, the fact that it does uh, have diversity. I told you it's pre-1995, so you know my theory yep. on that. Um, it is... Um, I was going to say, it passes the Bechtel cast, our test very often. They talk about something. I mean, like, they spend a lot of time just talking about each other or, like, you know, there's just a lot of conversation that's not centered around men. Um, and then just in general, this story really made me laugh. And it still kind of holds up, even though, as I said, the third act kind of doesn't tie all the loose ends. So I thought it was just more than good. Uh, more good than bad. Yeah, I so, definitely yeah. don't think it deserves an 8% on Rotten Tomatoes because, yeah. honestly, considering the movies that you and I have seen together, CJ, I think this has one of the lowest Rotten Tomato ratings, and I actually enjoy yeah, this does. so much more than Flintstones or any of the other um, movies. Yeah, I think like somebody even. had it out for Mary-Kate and Ashley because there is no reason this is an 8. I mean, you get Steve Gutenberg and Percy Alley alone do this movie really well. Like they do this movie. I justice. think they have more chemistry than Will and Eva Mendez had in, in Hitch, just to like compare it to another Andy Tennant movie. Um, they just really, well, yeah, I thought they were really great together. And this movie left me wanting to do things. I want to faint to get out of responsibility. <laughs> I want, I want to drive to a McDonald's, order a, a a cup of water and an apple pie, and then have a helicopter fucking pick me up in the parking lot, fly away, and then I want people to be like, his car is still in the fucking parking lot. Nope. He left, sir. That, no, that's not his car. The horse is his. He, he yeah, he arrived in a horse. <laughs> right up on a horse, and then I want I want a gentleman dressed in a top hat spitting a hot dog out of his mouth. That's my horse. <laughs> I mean, I mean, new things to add to the bucket list. Also, TZ, um, this is the second movie in movie makeover we've gotten. I meant to mention that when we did Dumb and Dumber, but we actually had a movie makeover inside the movie. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it's really, really important to, to call out. Yeah, okay, uh, are you guys ready to wrap this up? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. All right, Tyler, uh, is there anything that you want to plug or any way you want people to reach out? Where can people find you? What's going on? 
nothing. I'm a hermit. So uh, <laughs> while I super appreciate it, I um, don't want any of my comments to stop me from future work. So. Actually, uh, guys, you guys can find more about Tyler if you just Google uh, yes. Tyler uh, 911questionmark.com. Um, it's question mark spelled out. Uh, you guys will find a lot of info. Hashtag for your minds. <laughs> All right. Um, so that, that'll wrap up this episode. Uh, thanks you guys for listening to another episode of Movie Makeover. Remember, you can find us in all the places for your podcast listening that includes Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, and all the others. Um, all of this is at movie underscore makeover. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Extra Siege and TC. Uh, you guys can find me at uh, a braver me on Instagram at braver.me. And if you guys have any ideas on how to make this movie better, uh, maybe you guys have your own ideas for what the whole why they were related uh, or weren't related, please write us in. Let us know. Uh, like we said, uh, movie makeover pod at gmail.com is our email. Hit us up so we can, uh, yeah, read your theories, read your questions. And thank As you. Guys. I had so much fun. This was yeah. Great. We gotta have this. This is a fantastic Tyler. I I have to say this was like uh, you're one of my favorite guests. I don't think yes. I was. Awesome. Yeah, I mean, thank like, you. I had such yeah. a great time. This awesome. is fantastic. As always, I'm Teach and I'm TC. Make it out. out. <laughs> uh, it's gotta be one of those can't eat, can't sleep, reach for the stars, over the fence. Whoa, there's that thing. Whoa.